you know, I've been following Stanford sports for coming up on three full decades now, so I feel comfortable enough in my Stanford affiliation to confess this. There's a lot of things I actually like about Washington State University. I enjoy being in Pullman. Getting there and getting out, not so much, but I enjoy actually being in Pullman. Big fan of their women's soccer program. Todd Schulenberger, one of my favorite folks to deal with. So awesome to see them in the women's Final Four last December in San Jose. Pac-12 Network, when we go up there, they treat us like kings. I admit I pull for the Cougs a bit. 51 weeks out of the year. This is not that week. Especially this year. Here come the Cougs. Stanford versus Washington State top of mind on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for being here with us on Thursday, November 19th. 2020. Hope you've had a good week so far. Hope you've been staying healthy and doing everything you need to do to stay healthy. And hope my mom has a nice birthday today. Happy birthday, mom, in case you're listening to the show. We've got a lot to do as we're going to preview Stanford versus Washington State, and we will do that with a very special guest. Later on in the program, we will be joined by a guy who knows Pac-12 football, has played Pac-10 football, and knows a bit about the Stanford-Washington State series, played in three of them, and knows a bit about what it's like being a Washington State Cougar quarterback, because they've had a pretty good tradition. Ryan Leaf, now doing work with the Believe Podcast Network, co-host of the Believe in Pac-12 Football Podcast. He'll join us a bit later on in the show. Looking forward to getting that synergy in with uh, Ryan Leaf and getting his thoughts, especially his quarterback's perspective on what he sees from Davis Mills and the youngster that the Cougs have thrown the rock for them so far this year. So Ryan Leaf coming up in a few moments or so. We'll give you three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics in just a couple of minutes. But first, a couple of quick reminders. Hi, I'm Troy Clarity. How you doing? As mentioned, 28th season of following Stanford sports and Stanford football in particular. Pac-12 Network's play-by-play announcer as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. I always welcome that. At Troy Clarity, the last time is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. At Troy Clarity is the way to go there. You've got thoughts on the program? Hit me with them. Hashtag TreeCast. Also via Twitter. Also, this reminder, Pac-12 football and the NFL season are in full swing. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Washington State coming to the farm. Cougs are one and one. Stanford's 0 and 2. Stanford's lost six straight dating back to last year. They've lost four in a row to the Cougs. Cardinal need to stop a couple of streaks, and they need to do it this week. We'll give you three things you need to know, not just coming into this game in Stanford football, but also around Stanford Athletics. Let's start off with number one. And with COVID-19 cases surging nationwide, California and the Bay Area, of course, no different. And this week, Santa Clara County has been moved back into the purple tier of the state's reopening program. That's the most restrictive tier, and it especially limits indoor gatherings. 
This, of course, affects Stanford Athletics. During his weekly press conference on Tuesday, David Shaw, the Cardinal head football coach, was asked what the purple tier means for Stanford football. We've trained in small groups throughout the summer. If we have to go back to doing that, we can do that. Um, you know, the, this is the last week of school uh, for our guys. So um, at least if it goes going into next week, we always have more, more time during the day to space out the workouts and, and treatments um, for our athletic training. So uh, like I said, we're, our guys are used to adjusting. So we'll adjust and continue to prepare to play. So overall, that's good news. But again, we'll see. The bigger effect is on the basketball teams who, of course, need to practice and compete indoors, especially now that the weather is turning and they all just can't uh, work out at Tobia Tennis Stadium like they had uh, back when Santa Clara County was in the purple tier the first time around. So as usual, the basketball teams and pretty much everyone, everyone else will monitor and adapt accordingly. Let's get to number Even though we now know that college football games can come together 48 hours in advance, thanks to Cal and UCLA, Stanford is still filling in some blanks for its football schedules in future years. And on Wednesday, the Cardinal announced a four-game series with the University of Hawaii. Stanford will head to Honolulu in 2023 and 2025, while the Warriors will come to the farm in 2026 and 2030. So if you're planning 10 years ahead and ahead, a good for you. B, now you'll have something to do in August of 2030 when Hawaii comes to Stanford. By the way, as of now, Stanford series with Notre Dame is slated to end after the 2024 meeting. So intrigued to see if the card and the Irish continue it beyond then. But overall, when it comes to Stanford versus Hawaii, I'm glad to see this news because when all of this finally is over, I'm going to need a trip to Hawaii. Maui, to be exact. But I'll, I'll certainly at Oahu. Yeah, I'll certainly check that out. Hopefully that trip to Hawaii comes before 2023, though. Let's finish up three things with number three. How about some women's basketball? As usual, expectations high for the Cardinal. And if you need more proof, Pac-12 announced its preseason women's basketball honors on Tuesday, and the Cardinal are picked to win the conference. First time in six years that Stanford's been picked to finish first. Oregon and Arizona. Boy, what a story in Tucson, the women's, the women's Wildcats uh, program has been down there. Oregon and Arizona have tied for second. Haley Jones, Lexi Hall, and Kiana Williams also named to the Pac-12's preseason all-conference team. Cardinal are number two in the AP preseason poll behind South Carolina. Also got some scheduling tidbits for Stanford. It is, it is slated to begin its season November 25th at Maples versus Cal Poly. Then they'll host Pacific on November 29th. Then a couple of conference games, Washington State on December 4th, Washington on December 6th, both those games at Maples, and UC Davis on December 11th. Tara Vanderveer, of course, needs five wins to become the all-time winningest coach in women's college basketball history, passing Pat Summit. We talked about that with Tara when she joined the TreeCast back in September. I highly encourage you to go back into the vault and re-listen to that chat. So that UC Davis game on December 11th could be one for the history books. Looking forward to seeing how that develops. Those are three things. In keeping with hoops for just a moment, congratulations are in order to former Stanford men's basketball player Tyrell Terry, who was selected with the first pick in the second round of the NBA draft on Wednesday night. As Tyrell Terry is now headed 
to the Dallas Mavericks. So congratulations to him being selected the 31st overall in the 2020 NBA draft. Good night for him. Not so good night for Clay Thompson. Boy, that's 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 tough news. Hey, he's a he's a former Coug, by the way. Back to football as we turn our complete attention now to Saturday night as Stanford hosts Washington State, 7.30 p.m. kickoff from the farm. Some personnel updates for Stanford football. Uh, You might remember left guard Branson Bragg got injured in the second half against Colorado last week. On Tuesday, David Shaw said Bragg was doubtful for this week, although maybe slightly more on the hopeful side, but overall still doubtful for this week against the Cougs. Jake Hornerbrook will go in in his place. Hornerbrook had been seeing some time at guard throughout the season and, of course, was one of the many freshmen thrown into the pool on the offensive line last year. Meanwhile, one Stanford player we haven't seen yet this year is wide receiver Osiris St. Brown. I asked Shaw for an update on St. Brown back on Tuesday. Yeah, Osiris should be ready to go this week. Um, he, as you know, he was in that group that was held out the week before, um, um, coming off a non-COVID-related um, situation. Um, he feels great. He looked great last night, um, so he should be involved in this week's game plan. And much like Davis, he was coming off of off of a, a, an injury situation, and then didn't, didn't get any practice. So although Davis got thrown in there and Connor got thrown in there, they weren't coming off of an injury. So we didn't feel comfortable um, coming off an injury with no practice, putting him out there. Um, I think that would have done him a disservice, but um, he looks good. He feels good. So he'll be involved this week. Good news there. St. Brown caught 27 balls last year and he averaged over 20, 25 yards per catch on eight grabs the year before. He'll be welcomed back to a team that needs to get on the good foot David Shaw sharing his points of emphasis for this week. Have to be better in the red zone, offensively and defensively. Not scoring enough touchdowns and giving up too many. Uh, Got to be better on third down. Um, you know, we, we hit spots where we're doing well, but um, overall, ph- philosophically and um, execution-wise, um, we just have to be better. Um, another thing that's really jumped out is, is our third quarter production. Um uh, coming out of halftime, not not doing as well as we as we really could have, and then turning it back on in the fourth quarter. So, looking at a few few things to adjust there, um, none of which I will talk with you about, um, but just let you know that we've noticed that and we're working on that. Well, we appreciate you for pointing them out at the very least, Coach. But 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 as we discussed on Sunday's TreeCast, Stanford has no margin for error left, and. While I think that there are teams left on the Cardinals' schedule that Stanford is better than on paper, Stanford's not going to beat them or anyone else the way that they've largely played so far. More specific keys to this Saturday against the Washington State Cougars coming up later on in the show. Well, this show is called the TreeCast, so I guess it's appropriate that we have a leaf on this week's show and for my money still one of the best college quarterbacks I have ever seen play and now he's breaking down the Pac-12 really looking forward to this conversation the 1997 Pac-10 offensive player of the year and also co-host of the Believe in the Pac-12 podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network the one and only Ryan Leaf joining us here on the TreeCast. Ryan thanks a bunch appreciate the time how you doing? I like it. I was, I was thinking maybe some kind of pun, uh, make like a tree and leaf, you know, <laughs> would, would be a good way to go. Well, 
well, maybe you can end it on that one. But uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's dive right into it. I mean, obviously, Pac-12 football finally back in the swing, even though you know still very incomplete. Couple, to, you know, teams haven't played. Some teams are on the shelf as of right now, and there's just a whole lot of unknowns that are still surrounding pretty much everything else. But that being said, what's what's your snapshot of Pac-12 football as of right now? What do you think we know about the conference at this point, or around the conference at this point? Well, I think the biggest takeaway has been that I don't know if we've seen a team play so far in the Pac-12 that uh, is worthy of a college football playoff spot. And I think that may be the most telling thing of the conference. Also, the fact that we were the last to the party in terms of protocols and when we got to play and out the gate, uh, we've had four cancellations already. A team hasn't even played in the Utah Utes as of yet. So uh you know that's that's been problematic um i think if there is a team that could sway some votes votes their way down the stretches if if oregon continues to do and improve with what they've been able to do in the second half of their first two ball games they got really physical their recruiting has been really special under mario cristobal only thing unfortunately is they don't have a game that could put them over the top. Now, if USC were somehow to be able to go undefeated, which is a possibility, their schedule is pretty weak. Uh, if they're undefeated and ranked in the top 15, when uh, Pac-12 championship comes around, that may be something to, to, to weigh in for, for Oregon. I don't think uh, uh, a USC team, maybe with a win over Oregon, could have that conversation. But that's probably been the biggest takeaway. Don't know if we have a team that can compete for the college football play as of, uh, as of yet. Yeah, and, and it, you, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Oregon and USC. Those, of course, are the two uh, torch carriers for the Pac-12 as of right now. And as you mentioned, Oregon has been very good in the second half. Stanford found that out the hard way in week one. And USC is somehow mind-bogglingly found, found ways to win. But, but that being said, and even though they didn't play the last week, and they, did, they won't be playing this week either because of just COVID-19 just running rampant through that program, the most impressive performance to me so far this year was by Arizona State. Yes, I know they lost, but still the Sun Devils really showed me a lot. Is it? Am I crazy for potentially thinking that all things being equal, the best team in the conference might actually be Arizona State? Well, maybe the South for sure. I, they, they could be. I mean, they're not going to play two consecutive weeks, so we may never know. Uh, that's, that's the problem with what we're living right now. But they've probably played as good as anybody – for about three and a half quarters of that USC game. Defensively, what Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce have brought to the table, I thought was really special. Um, offensively, I thought they, were, they weren't as good as I, I expected them to be. I thought Jaden Daniels would be more explosive throwing the football and, and do some more things with his legs. So um, Arizona State's definitely uh, was going to be my surprise team in the South, I, I felt this year. But I don't think – you know, I don't, I don't know if they're even the second best team in the conference when you're talking about the teams in the North right now. Yeah, and, and certainly we may never know, as you just mentioned, with uh, what they're going through right now at this time um, of the season. Uh, Stanford has gone 0-2 so far. Mixed bag in some respects offensively, a bit disappointing defensively. And here they are. They're looking for a win this week against the Cougs. I'll get your further thoughts on that specific matchup in a few moments or so. But, but overall, grand scheme of things, what do you make of, of, of Stanford so far this year? Well, I, I expected David Shaw to have his team ready to play. And I, I feel like he was now, 
unfortunately, because of protocols and COVID, um, your star quarterback, who I thought was probably the best returning quarterback other than Chase Garbers uh, or Keaton Slovis coming into the season uh, and Davis Mills and not being able to play and then for it to be a false positive and not to get to practice till late because I don't think he looked himself against Colorado, at least not until later in the, the second half. But at that point, it was too late and and uh, it's not the same kind of pressure defense that Colorado was presenting early on. So I expected more, to be honest. I expected more from, from Stanford, um, more of their physical nature, but they've seemed to struggle. Um, and this is following up a, a subpar year under David Shaw, which is rare. So I don't know if you can really take too much away from this year, especially if they play six or seven games. But um, there's room for improvement, uh, and they got a chance to go against a, a you know a good football team in Washington State, but a young, inexperienced Washington State football team, not only at the quarterback position, but also with the coaching staff. Yeah, you're you're obviously a former quarterback, so I feel very comfortable in asking you this question: What do you like about Davis Mills and what you've seen from him so far? And what are some points of improvement you'd have for him? Well, I, I like his leadership qualities. If, if there was a case where a fifth-year senior in KJ Costello, who had been a a stud for them, I feel um, was allowed to walk away because of the talent level that Davis had shown in the limited amount of action a year ago. That tells me a lot. David Shaw has had some good ones, you know, Andrew Luck being a prime example. So so I know his leadership skills, his maturity, his talent is just un, unmatched. Otherwise, he wouldn't be starting this year. K.J. Costello would. Um, but for whatever reason, it seems like it's either feast or famine in terms of throwing the football and running the football. When you do one really well, it seems the other suffers. But when you run the football really well, it seems like he doesn't quite get into the rhythm he needs to necessarily and, and, and struggles a bit. So there has to be a way where you can, you know, have your cake and eat it too, I guess is the way to put it for, for Stanford and, and what, they could, what they have to do moving forward. Yeah, balance could potentially be the key, but of course, balance throughout the whole sixty minutes uh, might be the might be the biggest issue here. Um, let me take you to the wayback machine for a moment or so. I'll bring it back to the present in a few minutes or so. But let me take you back to the wayback machine uh, with Stanford facing Washington State this week. I'm thinking back to 1995. And I was in the building, Martin Stadium, that uh, it snowed the night before. I was freaking out over the team hotel in Moscow, and it rained all the way up to kickoff. And I believe Sean Deeds got the start, but you came in after that and played the rest of the game after the first series. And I believe, if my memory serves me correct, uh, that might have been your first extended playing time in your career at Wazoo. just kind of went from there. Take me back to that night and what, what you remember from it. Yeah, the week previous, we played down at – at Cal Berkeley, and uh, um, I replaced the starter, Chad Davis, about oh early on into the second half and, uh, and played okay. You know, uh, was, a, was a young freshman, and a lot of things going through my head really hadn't prepared as a starter all week. Um, so um, early on in the week before Stanford, I was told that Sean Deeds, who was a senior, was going to start on senior night and that I was going to play probably almost immediately, or he was going to get a few series. Unfortunately, Sean hurt his shoulder pretty, pretty bad. Third play of the game. And uh, Coach Price placed me in uh, into the football game. 
And I never missed a snap the rest of my career at Washington State after that. And I played pretty well. I think I threw three touchdowns. Uh, we were just overwhelmed uh, by by Stanford and, and Troy, Troy Walters in particular. I think he returned a, a punt for a touchdown against us. But um, it was kind of my coming out party. I would start the next week against Washington in the Apple Cup, and, and, and away we went. I had some great matchups against Stanford. Um, the next year down in, in Palo Alto, I, we had a great first half. Um, didn't play very well in the second half. And then the following year, the year we would go on and win, go on and win the conference and go to the Rose Bowl. Um, it was, it was senior day. And uh, since I left as a junior, it was kind of my senior day. The place to this day is still the largest capacity crowd ever in Washington state at Martin stadium, over 40,000 at the time it only held 36,000. Um, so we had 4,000 people standing around in that, in that, um, facility. And, uh, and I got carried off on the arms of my fans and, and it helped us win uh, every home game that year and, and helped us close the um, close the book on beating all four California schools that year in a single season. So it was really, I have some fond memories, even though I was only one and two against Stanford in my career. Yeah, but, but that team, they had some dudes. I mean, yourself pulling the trigger, Michael Black in the backfield, uh, Kevin McKenzie, uh, Chris Jackson, a whole bunch of uh, great receivers and great skill guys that were around you. But it's amazing because I still don't think that, that the quarterback tradition at Washington State maybe gets as much notice as it probably should. Yourself, uh, going back to Jack Thompson, Drew Bledsoe, uh, Jason Gesser did great things, uh, Tim Rosenbaum, Mark Rippon won a Super Bowl for crying out loud. Uh, how have Wash, how's Washington state been able to to get so many fantastic quarterbacks at the collegiate level well i think mike price had a lot to do with it mike was a ga when when jack thompson was there um dennis erickson was there when uh tim rosenbaugh came through mark rippon's a local product from spokane and then i and, and i feel like um you know they were able to keep guys that were local but we were very successful. Drew Bledsoe was from Walla Walla. I was from Montana. Um, Rip was from Spokane, you know, those types of situations, guys have been successful. And then down the line, Jason Gesser to, to, to Falk, to Gardner Minshew, um, guys in the air raid have been really successful and are getting chances at the next level too. So yeah, we, we thought it was quarterback you. We really did. I wanted to be the next Drew Bledsoe. I, I came in the year after he left as a freshman and that's who I wanted to be. And, Coach Price felt I had the ability to, to be that good. And, and luckily for us, we were able to exceed that and do more uh, and take him to the Rose Bowl for the first time in 67 years. So that was special. Well, let's bring it back up to the present now with the Washington State quarterbacks. Jaden DeLara, a true freshman, has been impressive uh, in my mind overall, making plays out of the pocket, making some pinpoint throws, and overall making good decisions. What have you noticed from that young man over the last couple of games? Well, his poise. True freshman, uh, first true freshman ever to start at Washington State. And he didn't turn it over last week against a very good Oregon defense. Uh, I think he only turned it over once against Oregon State in that win. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. I felt like the run and shoot was going to take some time. They've run the ball really well and haven't had their best running back in Max Borgie. Damian McIntosh has, has carried the load and done a tremendous job. Delora has been accurate. Um, has gotten the ball out of his hands quickly. He's been decisive. I think that's a huge step to see that they didn't really skip too much of a beat after Mike Leach decided to leave. And when you recruit to the air raid, it's kind of a niche 
type of system. And all of a sudden you come in with a new system. Are the offensive linemen going to be physical enough to go forward instead of always going back and get you to run the football? And I felt like this system really fit what skilled players they had there defensively. Coach Dickert, I think, has done a tremendous job getting these guys to play with passion. The only thing is, you know, the talent level and the speed is just not the same as, as some other places. And you could tell in the Oregon game and down the stretch is where that defense got beat was matchups and speed. And Oregon, of course, was able to get up over the top and make bigger plays and outrun guys. Yeah, Washington State very active in their front seven. But as you mentioned, uh, the speed from Oregon. Gee, seems like we've been saying that for the last 20 years or so. Speed from Oregon being the difference. A uh, couple last things for you here. What are you watching most? What are some things that you're going to be checking out the most on Saturday night when the Cardinal meet the Cougars? Well, um, all eyes are going to be on Davis Mills. Uh, they really are, you know, not, not playing against Oregon, playing so-so against Colorado. You really could put a lot of emphasis on – on the defense of Stanford allowing so many points, but Colorado seems to look like they can score at will on anybody right now. UCLA shut down Cal and Chase Garber. So, you know, I, I'm going to look at that defense and see if they can stand up against a run and shoot offense for Stanford. I'm going to look at Davis Mills and see if he's going to be able to have a balanced attack and, and, and run the ball and set up play action. And then I'm going to look at uh, Washington state and what they do defensively. Are they going to, get stout again like they were in the first half and create turnovers against Oregon, or are they going to be more porous and not be able to live up to the physical nature of what Stanford normally brings to the table? So these games are always good uh, no matter what. Uh, I expect it to be a close, uh, well-fought game. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to fall on the side of Washington State winning just because, you know, I'm, I'm an alumni. <laughs> I and get I want it. To see it. And I want to see them win. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be competitive. Um, if they can rattle Davis early, he, he seems he had a great game against them last year through four bunch of yards, but, but Washington state dominated that game. They really did. So in fact, they've dominated over the last few years actually. And, and Stanford, uh, uh, and David Shaw need to figure out a way to flip this around or, you know, they're facing or looking down a possible under 500 season, uh, if they have their third loss after three weeks. Yeah, yeah, must win, no doubt about that. And uh, full disclosure, I, I, I get it, I understand. I, I, if I had a, if I could have a tin of Cougar Gold in my freezer, I would right now. But I do have a jar of uh, espresso rub from Ferdinand's, the Creamery on campus there at Washington State. Great on pork chops, it's amazing. Uh, as we wrap this up, uh, uh, tell folks about Believe in the Pac-12, the podcast uh, that you co-host. Yeah, it was just you know something I, I, I working for ESPN and SiriusXM, I, I delve into um, you know, most of college football or college athletics and, but I focus mostly on the PAC 12. So, uh, a friend of mine came to me and said, I'm starting this podcast network. Do you want to be a part of it? And I said, um, yeah, what, what's, he's like, well, you know, I'm looking for some investors and, and some, some partners in this. And he offered up this great opportunity. Like, Hey, here's 5% of the company, uh, you know, bring your podcast to the table, help generating others and just kind of make it ours. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, it's like if somebody came up to you with Facebook back in the day and said, Hey, uh, <laughs> you want to be a part of it for 5% and all of a sudden. So I said, yeah. And I've been doing this PAC 12 one for a couple of years where simply, you know, on Mondays we, we recap the weekend and talk about the games. And then on Thursday we preview the upcoming games the next weekend. So anybody who wants to be, 
entrenched in Pac-12 uh, football, what's going on, um, you know, things like that. It's, it's, it's a great no, – one of my buddies uh, uh, who produced my games for ESPN last year um, has another crew, and he's called – this will be his second Pac-12 game he's calling this weekend, and he texted me this morning and just said, uh, hey, man, the Believe in the Pac-12 podcast is so helpful for these games. And I said, well, thank you. That's, that's good to know. That makes me feel good. So I enjoy doing it. Uh, Jonathan Rifkin's my co-host. He's a newly graduated kid from Oregon, uh, getting his feet wet in the broadcasting world, does a tremendous job. I let him have a lot of fun and, and, and give him a hard time. I know that. So <laughs> well, you and Jonathan do an outstanding job and everyone has homework on Thursday. Check out the TreeCast and check out Believe in the Pac-12. This was fun. Been looking forward to this and glad we could pull it off. And of course, he will have his eye on the rest of the Pac-12 football season. Hopefully it goes to its conclusion, but he'll be there throughout it all and looking forward to it. Ryan Leaf joining us here on the TreeCast. Ryan, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay sane, and I hope we get a chance to chat again soon. Thanks, Troy. I really appreciate the time. No, you bet. My pleasure. And uh, I was, I'm serious about that espresso seasoning rub from uh, Ferdinand's on the uh, Washington State campus. That is fantastic, top-notch stuff. I don't think I'll be using it this week, however. But our thanks again to uh, Ryan Lee for joining us on the show. And, 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 and look, a lot of you know his story, and I'm certainly glad that, that he is, he's turned it around uh, from some of the depths that, that he experienced uh, throughout the course of his career, certainly in professional football and in his life as well. But he's uh, glad he's turned it around. Been some bumps in the road, but hey, you know, he's, he's still trending in the upward direction and uh, glad that he could uh, spend some time with us. Uh, really cool to, to get some of his thoughts, kind of go back in the way back machine with uh, with Washington State and Stanford back in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, Troy Walters returning that punt in the rain in the 96 matchup. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And oh, by the way, um, Ryan is right about the Pac-12 and the college football playoff thing right now. Because uh, as it stands at this point, I don't think that even if Oregon or USC goes 6-0, 7-0 at this point, uh, obviously if, it's, if they both meet in the uh, Pac-12 championship game, uh, one of them is going to drop. So only one of those teams will likely go undefeated. If that happens, I don't think either of them to this point are, are going to get the nod for a potential college football playoff berth. And I'm a Pac-12 apologist in some respects, but uh, I, I think Ryan is correct uh, when it comes to uh, the Pac-12's uh, chances of making the CFP at this point. But Saturday should be intriguing. The Cougs are 1-1, one one, a bit more on Washington State. You heard some of Ryan's thoughts, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into, into the Cougs myself here. Convincing win at Oregon State to start the season when they were shorthanded and missing 32 players. And they capitalized on early turnovers, but they couldn't hold off the Ducks late in a loss to Oregon last week. New head coach, obviously, with Mike Leach now at Mississippi State. Nick Rolovich is now on the Palouse after four years as the head coach at Hawaii. Rolovich, actually a former Arena League quarterback, too, and I actually called a game of his when uh, he was taking snaps for the Las Vegas Gladiators in 2007 against the San Jose Sabercats. I've got some stories about that game, but uh, this isn't the time or the place. Good stories, by the way. Uh, it's not the air raid like Mike Leach, uh, but the run and shoot that the Cougars uh, currently run with Rolovich uh, calling the shots, and the run and shoot actually considers running the ball 
from time to time. I, I, I know, strange concept, but uh, the Cougs actually do have, have somewhat of a running attack this year. I asked David Shaw what stands out to him about the Cougs offense and who stands out as well. I've known of Nick Rolovich um, for a few years now. We have some mutual friends and um, watched uh, a lot of what they did at Hawaii. And uh, one of the things he's really, really good at is uh, utilizing his personnel um, within his offense. So um, there are years where maybe they weren't the best deep ball team. It killed you underneath high percentage passes, run after catch opportunities, screens. And then there are years uh, like his last year in, in Hawaii where they're a great deep ball team and they're launching the ball um, down the field multiple times a game. So uh, we got a lot, I have a lot of respect for him. What stands out to me is they're getting, giving guys opportunity to make plays. There's balls being spread around, um, and uh, as, as you would expect, and uh, quarterback stepped in and has done a really nice job. And the quarterback is a true freshman, Jaden Delara. You heard Ryan Leaf's thoughts on the youngster, and Delara's thrown, he's thrown four touchdowns versus just one interception so far this season, completing just under 60% of his passes. He's impressive. So is running back Dion McIntosh, a slasher. And he can bring a bit of thunder, too. But but I think he's most dangerous in open space and uh, breaking down defenders one-on-one uh, -on -one with his wiggle. Wide receiver Renard Bell, he's super dangerous, too. Now, the Cougs have a couple of names on their roster that Stanford fans may recognize with Stanford ties. Uh, running back Max Borgie, probably their biggest offensive weapon. We haven't seen him yet because he hasn't played so far this year because of a back injury. Borgie, you might remember, got an offer from Stanford, but chose to sign with Washington State instead. Rolovich says that Borgie is day-to-day -day this week, but McIntosh has been absolutely terrific in Borgie's absence. Another Coug whose name might be familiar to Stanford fans, Aiden Hector. Hector was a member of Stanford's recruiting class of 2020. He was supposed to be a freshman this fall, was scheduled to be wearing a Cardinal uniform right now. But in the spring, he had a scholarship rescinded by the Stanford admissions office after the school sought out more info on his role as a witness in a police investigation up in Seattle. Just last month, Hector joined Washington State as a walk-on. Shaw was asked what he could tell us about that situation. Not much. Um, I don't talk about uh, admissions decisions. Um, yeah, we recruited uh, Aiden and... Uh, um, you know, doesn't take you long to do any digging to see what happened. Um, but you know, our admissions de department made a made a decision, which we understood. Um, had communication with, with Aiden's family; they understood. Um, uh, Washington State, um, who I did not communicate with at all, they did their due diligence and they um, they brought him to their school and added him to their football team. Yeah, and Hector's made an impact already for the Cougars. He had a Hector of a night against Oregon last week. See what I did there? Two fumble recoveries and an interception, all on three straight series in the first half against the Ducks. He was named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week. So if you hear Aiden Hector's name during Saturday night's game and you go, wait a minute, that, that, that name sounds familiar. That is why. Hector, part of a defense that, that causes problems, especially in its front seven. 
two guys to watch out for. Amir Crowder on the defensive line. He wears number 95. Brennan Jackson on the edge. He wears number 80. Those dudes very impressive at the line of scrimmage and getting into the backfield. Cougs are very active defensively up front. Seemingly not unlike Colorado's defensive front seven, which, as David Shaw said last week, quote, out-schemed and outperformed the Cardinal. I asked David Shaw for similarities between what the Buffs and the Cougars do up front defensively. I thought all training camp, we did a really good job blocking movement. I thought we did a good job against Oregon blocking movement, and we did not do a good job against Colorado blocking movement. So um, if I was playing against this guy, I'd move our front all over the place. Um, and, but I know our guys have worked on it. I know we're, um, we're going to be better than we were a week ago. Um, um, they don't have, it's not the drastic movement that, that, that uh, the last staff employed on the defensive side. Um, but they're quick, they're subtle, they're physical. Um, you know, so uh, that's that's going to be a tough match for us. It usually has been for Stanford over the years, especially when Alex Grinch was calling the shots defensively for Washington State and uh, rebranding that unit as the Speed D back when uh, he was uh, the defensive coordinator for Washington State. And Stanford's tackles in particular, uh, Walter Rouse, Foster Sorrell, those two seemed to struggle a bit last week with Colorado's quickness and movement up front. Will the Cougs try similar tactics against the Cardinal? David Shaw would. And if so, can Stanford handle it? That's certainly going to be one key for this game between Stanford and Washington State. Uh, along with the usuals for Stanford, the offense needs to get six instead of three, and the defense needs to get off the field on third down. I feel like I've been saying that for, for the better part of a calendar year now. Stanford offensively, they may have to consider taking a bit more of a methodical approach, be it with the passing game or the running game, or more likely a balance between the two. Get chain-moving plays, largely to keep Stanford's defense off the field. It's no secret Stanford struggled mightily against the Cougs last year after being insolvent uh, throughout September. Stanford defense kind of uh, regrouped a little bit in October, but then, then that game against Washington State, Stanford just collapsed defensively once again. And, and even though it's, it's a slightly new scheme offensively for the Cougars this year, have you seen much from the Stanford defense this year to this point that gives you confidence that it can stop Washington State right now? Eh, Outside linebackers really need to eat their Wheaties this week, by the way. Meanwhile, the Cardinals have actually done well in the turnover department. They've got three so far. But not only do the Stanford defense, does the Stanford defense need to force those turnovers, the offense actually needs to do something with it. So, look, it's, it's no secret. Stanford did not play to anywhere near what it probably should have been uh, against Colorado last week. We know that the bar for Stanford is much higher than what it showed against the Buffs last week. Can they reach, maybe even surpass that bar against a feisty Washington State Cougar squad that's, that's playing better already than many people thought they would be at this point in the season? It's going to be a tough task. It's going to be a tall task. We'll find out together all on Saturday night at Stanford Stadium. Of course, I always welcome your thoughts and what you got on Stanford football. The best way to share your thoughts with me is via Twitter, hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the way to go there. 
And you can also give me the follow on Twitter at Troy Clarity. If you haven't subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show yet, what are you waiting for? We're in regular season mode now. This is the perfect time to subscribe to the show. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart. I think Alexa probably has the hookup too. No matter which way you want to go, you want to hear the show, chances are we have got you covered. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. I always appreciate it uh, when you do that. And as I always say, if you like the show, tell everyone. If you don't like the show, tell me and let me know what I can do to make it better. Stanford, Washington State, 7.30 p.m. kick at Stanford on Saturday. And we will break it down on Sunday. The next edition of the TreeCast will come your way on Sunday. And hopefully we're talking about Stanford's first win of the year and setting the stage for the big game against the California Golden Bears. Our thanks again to our special guest, Ryan Leaf, one of the Cougs' all-time greats, breaking down Pac-12 football and Stanford versus Washington State and the co-host of the Believe in the Pac-12 football podcast. So our thanks again to Ryan Leaf for joining us. Our biggest thanks, most of all, goes out to you for being with us once again. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet, every bit as dumb as the person who does not wear a mask. Mask it or casket. Please, please. We'll talk to you on Sunday on the next episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.